Welcome to the Human Performance Podcast. Here we talk about everything to do with human performance and how leaders and organizations can get the best out of themselves and their people. I'm your host, Alex Young. My guest on the podcast this week is Neil Crofts. Neil is the co-founder and CEO of Holos, an entirely virtual leadership and culture consultancy working with global clients. Neil was head of strategy for Razorfish during the dot-com boom and has written four books on authentic leadership. We talk about leadership as a skill, the importance of change in organizations, and how we can embrace change and creativity through vulnerable and authentic leadership. Hey, Neil, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you. Good to meet you, Alex. Likewise, uh, we were just commenting before we started recording. We've got uh, quite a bit in common. Uh, I'm obsessed with everything to do with leadership um, and uh, your company and and your background is very much geared up to helping people understand how leadership is absolutely instrumental, not just in organizations, but in fact, in every walk of life, really. Um, How how did you sort of get started? What's your background? (laughs) Um, so I was uh, head of strategy for an internet consultancy called Razorfish during the dot-com boom, so 20-something years ago, 25 years ago. And what became very clear was it didn't really matter how good the technology was that we delivered to our clients. Um, if they didn't have a culture that was adapted to a digital environment, it didn't add value. And, um, and so uh, I became obsessed with a question, which was how do you intentionally create the kind of culture that leads to sustained success in a digital environment. And later that's morphed into a disrupted environment because digital is not the only disruptor. Um, And then, you know, as soon as you start asking that question, the answer to that, the answer to that question is around leadership and, and not just any old kind of leadership, but a very specific kind of leadership, which we use the term authentic leadership, but, we perhaps use it differently to others, but we have a very specific meaning around what we mean by authentic leadership. Um, so, so the kind of culture that creates uh, sustained success in a disrupted environment is a culture that's led by authentic leaders. And then, and so, therefore, yeah, how do you how do you help people to be that very best leader they possibly can be? Um, and that's that's really how I got into it. And I, I mean, I spent. I probably um, 10 years studying that question and just trying to figure out the answer. I wrote three books, I think, and then, um, and then got into practicing and delivering. I had this extraordinary experience of uh, working for a BP in what was known as the BP faculty, so external to BP, um, but working with this amazing group of people um, who who now form the backbone of Holos, which, which is my company that delivers this, and um, we, you know, we got to do our ten thousand hours of practice, you know, delivering leadership development and team effectiveness work uh, across the world for BP in the wake of uh, the accident in the Gulf of Mexico. So it was it was not just leadership development, but it was part of cultural transformation as well. Um, and you know, when you when you do that intensive practice, then we got to do it all again for Barclays. When you do that intensive practice, you, you get very good at something. Um, and, and we all did. 
and and so we have we've got this amazing team of people who who deliver really extraordinary leadership development to to clients around the world. And I mean, you, you alluded to your own background, um, you know, leading sort of a, a, a corporation during the kind of the dot com boom. Um, as you mentioned, leadership is something that's kind of experientially learned. And, um, you know, certainly from my time in medicine, um, I went on things like leadership courses and it, it was always a, a bit of a variable bag, depending on the experiences that the teachers and trainers, uh, you know, themselves have been through and, and uh, you know, how well they'd research things in terms of what they're actually teaching and how applicable that was. For you, what were some of the, you know, the biggest takeaways for um, you know, for, for you as sort of someone who, who led strategy at Razorfish during that time? Well, so I, think, I think the first thing is that uh, leadership is, is terribly misunderstood in our society. Uh, if you look on Amazon, you'll see that there are something like 65,000 books on leadership. <laughs> and in spite of that, um, very few people have... A, a, a real understanding of leadership, in peop- including people who are in leadership roles. So I think that's the that's the first thing to to grab hold of. Um, the 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 key challenges of leadership are of are that leadership requires vulnerability. Um, so leadership and vulnerability are are synonymous with one another because leadership is all about. Um, change and change is all about doing stuff you've never done before and you don't know what the outcome is. And and if you're going to do stuff that you have never done before, you don't know what the outcome is and take people on that journey with you, you've got to be vulnerable because, because you're doing something you've never done before. You don't know what the outcome is. Um, and, and then, uh, so, so, and we're all taught at a young age that vulnerability is a stupid thing to do and, and you'll and, and never to do it ever. So you've got this real tension between what it takes to actually lead and our whole cultural baggage. Um, and, and almost no one is taught leadership at school. In fact, at school, students showing signs of leadership are deeply unpopular. Um, I, I mean, I, I was explicitly expelled from a school for showing signs of leadership. So you know, teachers do not want students to show signs of leadership at school. So you, you've got this real tension in society that we desperately need high quality leadership. And yet we, we punish people who show signs of leadership at a young age, um, very largely. And actually, lots of organizations discourage leadership as well. They say they want leadership. But when people say, hey, how about we do something different? They say, oh, no, no, we don't do that around here. So, you know, there is an active discouragement of leadership. And I, and I think there's another, another part of the misunderstanding is that we, we often use the words leadership as, and management as if they're interchangeable, uh, where, whereas management is fundamentally the skill of keeping things reliable. And leadership is fundamentally the skill of creating change. These aren't different people. They're different skills. So, you know, one minute you, you see something that needs to be kept reliable and you say, well, I, okay, I'll, let me, you know, I need to put a process in place. I need to uh, make sure people understand how to do it, blah, blah, blah. That's management. Um, and, and when you see stuff that you need to change, you've got to uh, inspire people, engage people with 
the idea that something might need to change and you've got to get them collaborating to identify what you're going to do differently and you're going to, you know, that's leadership. And these are different things. And then the third skill that we also don't teach uh, is followership. You know, what does high quality followership look like? And this isn't just sort of obedient conformity, but it's, wow, that's a really cool thing. You know, let me support you in doing that. And by the way, if you changed it in this way, it might be even better. Uh, uh, not just sort of, oh, I'll, I'll sit back and wait to be told what to do. So, you know, and it, it, it's, it's fascinating that these, these three skills are so key to success in any field. And yet, actually, the way that they're taught, the way that they're discussed, the way that they're explained is, is generally poor. There are lots of really, really good examples, and there's some fantastic teachers out there. I'm not taking away from any of that. But the, the general broad understanding is, is, is poor. That was a bit of a rant, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I, no, well, no, it was great. It was great. It was, it was absolutely spot on. And I think um, it, it reminds me back to um, uh, when I was going through my medical training, one of the, the kind of classic interview questions is what's the difference between a leader and a manager? And the kind of stock answer is always a manager keeps the status quo, a leader instigates change. And that element of, you know, you, you talk about sort of authentic leadership and vulnerability. I think that ability to, you know, firstly, almost empathetically negotiate with people and, and persuade people that whatever your crazy idea is, that there is a path forward, even if you're sort of building the airplane with the wheels on that and, uh, you know, while it's sort of taking off the, the concept there then becomes how do you sort of segment leadership down? What are things that people can sort of start working on? Like, what can they sort of put into action today? Should they be working on things like how they speak to therefore inspire people? Should they be thinking about how they convey complex topics in simple terms to to sort of win people over and win, uh, and get people on board? As you start sort of breaking down some of those elements of authentic leadership, how how do you sort of segment it in in your you know teaching of leaders? Yeah, so I mean those are important things, um, and not not necessarily where I would start. Um, I think the, the first thing to do, the first thing really is around self-awareness and emotional regulation. Um, so, so the, the essence of authentic leadership is, is first of all, knowing yourself and being it really skillfully in all situations. Um, and then, but the leadership bit, that sort of personal authenticity, the leadership bit is creating an environment where everyone feels really safe to be themselves. Uh, so you're creating an environment of psychological safety where it's, it's safe to bring up different ideas. It's safe to ask stupid questions. It's safe to be yourself. It's safe to raise concerns, uh, all of that sort of thing. And, and, and creating that culture and environment is, is crucially important. And, and one of the things that really inhibits it is, is when the leader gets triggered. So if you're if you're not skilled at your own emotional regulation, such that when someone comes to you with bad news, you you might punish them or or be critical or be negative or whatever. You, you know, as a leader, you've got to have that level of emotional regulation where it's like, you know, okay, tell me more. It's so, okay, what do we learn from this? Uh, you know, what's the next? You know, what's next? Uh, rather than any sort of blame or criticism. So, so, you know, 
you've got to be holding people accountable without blaming them or criticizing them while you know maintaining emotional uh, psychological safety all this sort of thing so the the place to start is self-awareness and an emotional regulation those those skills of of inspiring people of um setting context really well of clear communication all of that is is subsidiary after uh, that emotional regulation and 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 uh a lot of that comes down to habits you know all all change occurs at the habit level so we've got to in order to lead really successfully you've got to you've got to be continually able to identify habits that you want to upgrade and upgrade those habits uh and and habits of thought as much as habits of behavior and i know that you're um a big proponent of talking about things like you know transformational leadership skills and um you know you use the phrase uh you know sort of post conventional leadership and and things like that what, you know, to you what, what what does what do those terms mean in terms of how organizations sort of look at and and you know instigate things like leadership training within their own um you know teams and systems so so i said uh, um at uh, at the beginning that uh you know the bit that we specialize in is is helping organizations through disruption uh and and the reality is that most organizations are experiencing disruption right now so there are a number of mega trends that are disrupting the way that organizations operate um digitization decarbonization aging you know pandemic you know most organizations are experiencing disruption right now in the conventional world you could create a successful organization just by being reliable you know if you could just do what you said you were going to do you could be successful now that applies to pharma it applies to medicine it applies to it applies to banks it applies to airlines you know you name it if you could just do what you said you were going to do you could be successful and many many businesses were very very successful just by being reliable just by doing what they said they were going to do what what's happened in in probably the last 7 or 8 years is that the business world at least has come to be dominated at, at the you know the, the most successful businesses today are what we would call post conventional businesses and these are businesses that are able to disrupt themselves before someone else does it to them and be reliable at the same time now there have always been businesses like that and you know you can point at companies like 3M who've who you know they've always done that sort of thing and you know fantastic inspiring businesses but but the historic model was you know back at ford you started up you created your big disruptor you made came into the market you disrupted the market you got really really good at what you did and you stayed there and you were really reliable and you know you did some incremental innovation after that but you weren't really trying to disrupt your whole business model you know in fact people who came along and said how about we change the business model you know you, you threw them out um and and actually in those businesses typically you would you would segregate innovation because innovation's really annoying if you're trying to create a reliable business you know people coming along and saying how about we do stuff differently you know that's annoying because it's it's getting in the way of your your reliability so the, the classic story is xerox xerox um you know they were busy making photocopiers or whatever they were doing 
they had some great innovators in the company. These innovators were saying, well, how about we do this? And how about we do that? And they said, no, 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 no. We'll give you your own place. We'll segregate you over there in a place they called Xerox Park. They, they made a special, you know, home, you know, you go and innovate over there. And they put them in this place and they said, you go and innovate over there. And they, they went and sat there and they thought, oh, they've told us we can innovate. So they came up with some fantastic ideas. And they kept going back to the mothership and saying, hey, guys, come on, we've got this brilliant, brilliant thing. What do you think? And they said, no, 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 we're busy making photocopiers. Don't interrupt. And, and so the, these brilliant innovators and scientists got really frustrated, as you can imagine, in their, in their ivory tower in Xerox Park. And they invited um, some, uh, some people from outside to come and see what they were doing. And, and one of the people that came to see what they were doing was really interested and thought what they were doing was fantastic. And, uh, and that person was Steve Jobs. And uh, what they showed him was the graphic user interface and the mouse. And you know, the rest is history. But, but the, the point is that that model of that conventional model of segregating innovation, of focusing on reliability, is, it just doesn't work anymore. Uh, if you if you're if you're not disrupting yourself, you're waiting to be disrupted by someone else, and they're going to disrupt you pretty soon. And you know whether they're disrupting you through digital technology, or or through decarbonisation or whatever, you know they are going to disrupt you. And um, and therefore, you know if you're if you're a conventional organisation and you're focusing on reliability. The skill you're going to prioritize is the skill of management. You know, whatever, whatever they say about leadership, if, if, you're going to, if you're prioritizing reliability, the skill you're going to prioritize is management. Management doesn't require us to be vulnerable because management's about doing the same thing over and over again. So, it, you know, it, it, it's nothing, you know, it doesn't have that reliability. In it. it doesn't require us to be inspiring. We don't really need a vision. You know, we're just doing what we did before slightly better. Post-conventional businesses, you need you need management because you still need to be reliable, and you need leadership because you need to be able to disrupt and transform uh, as well. And so, you know, you've got to take these people who have probably built a career on on being reliable on management, and you've got to say to them, "Okay, that's great. Keep that skill. Don't lose that. That's fantastic." And you've got to add this thing called leadership to it. And, and by the way, leadership is going to require you to do something that's deeply uncomfortable, uh, which, is, which is vulnerability. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of where you're, where you're starting with all of this. And then you get into the, the emotional regulation and the self-awareness and inspiring people and prioritization and decision-making and all of that. Yeah, really interesting. It reminds me of um, there's a Yale University study that, that looked, I think it's about 14,000 employees and organizations across North America. And they found that um, the organizations had people and leaders who had that kind of higher emotional intelligence, that EQ. Um, not only did they get sort of good business results like better employee retention, engagement and, and sort of end sales results, but, but actually they had higher levels of creativity and innovation within them. And, and almost certainly that's because of that sort of safety and, and that ability to appreciate um, that you need to have that, you know, that, that, that kind of ability to, to allow your people to sort of fail and, and uh, you know, innovate safely. Um, 
You're listening to the Human Performance Podcast by Verti. If you're enjoying this episode, why not join our newsletter? When you sign up, you'll receive a copy of Level Up straight to your inbox every Thursday with the latest tips, tricks, and news about all things human performance. Head over to verti.com forward slash newsletter to sign up. That's verti.com forward slash newsletter. You can find this in the show notes. Anyway, back to the episode. You know, for, for you, you've obviously, you know, you've, you've researched this, this topic deeply. You've looked at lots of inspirational leaders, um, you know, similar to, to me. I'm sort of obsessed with looking at what people have done and, and how they've changed organizations. What are some of the, I suppose, most surprising aspects um, that you've come across into all of your research over this long period of time that you thought, actually, that's kind of a little bit counterintuitive to what I perceived leadership to be? Well, I think... So we make a distinction between what we call boss-style leadership and authentic-style leadership. And, and you know, if you talk to normal people about leadership, they would typically identify boss-style leaders. That, that's what they would imagine leadership to be. Um, and, you know, we've, we see this playing out in the world today in, in, in global politics. Um, boss-style leadership is primarily motivated by status and prioritizes loyalty over competence. So, you know, that, that you see that, you see that in all sorts of different places. And, uh, and that, that is really throughout history, that's by far the most common form of uh, leadership. And most people are, don't self-identify as that kind of leader. So they don't think of themselves as being potential leaders, because because they don't they're not that driven by status, uh, and they wouldn't want to prioritize loyalty over competence, uh, and so so they and, and actually authentic style leadership isn't that's not like on the menu as far as they in, in many places because because boss style leaders don't regard authentic style leadership as leadership at all. All they see is weakness. So if you're in an organization or in an environment which is dominated by boss style leaders, which is many environments, then a lot of people don't self-identify as being potential leaders at all. Uh, so the, the, the flip has to come with, with this, this acceptance that boss style leadership is not the right kind of leadership. The, the fundamental problem. So boss style leadership is, is somewhat attractive because it tends to, it looks like it delivers results quite quickly. Uh, and the problem is that boss-style leadership only delivers results by stealing from the future in some way. So if you imagine, um, if you imagine that you're, uh, you know, you've got a boss-style leader running a factory uh, and, you know, they're very keen to get results. They want to deliver because they want to have status and they want to prove themselves to the boss above them. And, uh, and so they're going to, they're, they're, they're really going to want to cut corners in some way. They'll cut back on maintenance or they'll push the culture too hard or whatever it is in order to deliver the results. And, and that will have a push the cost into the future. So boss style leaders only deliver results by stealing from the future. And, and so if you, if you want sustained success, which is the, what we talked about, you, you know, authentic style leadership will create that sustained success by enabling everyone to be the very best version of themselves as much of the time as possible. But but so many cultures, organizational cultures are dominated by boss style leaders. 
The irony of this <laughs> is that you know most people who behave like boss style leaders are not authentically boss style leaders at all and and when confronted with the evidence will be utterly horrified that that's that's what they're doing uh, and they're only doing it because they don't know any better because this, that's the role model that they had because that's the culture that they're in they're not doing it because it's who they are and in fact many of them many of the people who are doing it feel deeply uncomfortable, very stressed uh, by the inauthenticity of what they're doing. They just, they just don't know how not to do it. And so in a, a lot of the time in the work that we're doing, people are re- relieved. They're thrilled to have the option to, to tread this path of authentic leadership, which has much more integrity for them uh, and, and feels much more real. Um, at, but, but they need they need help to understand how to do it and and that that you know leads nicely into my next question which is obviously i'm a massive proponent of of lifelong learning and, and bettering yourself you know regardless of the stage of your career um i mentioned to you just before we started recording i'm, I'm currently researching and giving a ted talk into not just leadership but but you know how do you learn effectively any soft or power skill or, or, or anything in that domain that sort of you know batters yourself again i'd love to hear sort of you know your experience of how to firstly i suppose convince people that leadership can be taught and then some of you know your stories and experiences of actually seeing those changes happen when you you know you you talk to, to people about some of the topics you've been mentioning so um i think the first thing to say that I, I don't know whether people still say this but i definitely remember a time when there was a bit of a debate about whether leaders were were born or made um and and the reality is that if you if you believe that leaders are born, not made, then then you're specifically talking about boss style leadership, because because boss style leaders typically haven't studied leadership in in any great depth. The thing with authentic style leadership is that it is a it is a hundred percent a lifelong learning journey. You know, as you know, I talk about learning self awareness. You know. Learning self, you know, self awareness is something that takes a lifetime to master. It's not that's not something that is like okay, I've read the book, I now now I know. You know, we're always learning something about ourselves, and we can always get better at being ourselves. Um, so it is, it, it is, you know, when you if you see anyone who you consider to be a great leader, they have worked at it. They, they didn't arrive there fully formed. They've really thought about it. Uh, and, and that's, you know, and, and so if you aspire to be a great leader, um, then, then you will need to do the homework. You know, you'll need to, you'll need to really work at it and think it through. Um, so then we come to that, the last part of your question, which was about teaching it. Um, it, it is, uh, <laughs> It's it's un- it's unbelievably rewarding um, because you you're you take people who who probably they're in they're generally they're in a in a position of leadership they have they have you know positional authority in an organisation um, and you know they're often they're doing bits of it but but you know the dots are just not lining up for them so I give you a, 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 a one really important example. 
um, is that most organizations promote people because they're good at doing something. So, you, I mean, I, I don't know if this is true for you, but let me, let's just pretend. So you're a surgeon, you're a great surgeon. Uh, you're a really, really good surgeon. So they promote you to being a leader of surgeon, surgeons. Well, you know, just because you're a great surgeon, that does not make you a great leader of surgeons. Uh, but we do it in sales, we do it in accounting, we do it in you know everything. We just because someone's good at something, we promote them to being a leader of something because we don't have most organisations don't have an expert path for promotion. You can't you know become you know go from a grade five surgeon to being a grade one surgeon. That most organisations don't have that. Maybe they do in surgery. I, I don't know. Um, but. But you, so, so the only promotional path is, is a leadership path. And then the problem is that we all get our sense of self-worth from doing things that we're good at, not from doing things that we're not good at. So what happens is we, we continue to do our, our skill. We continue to do surgery. We continue to do sales. We continue to do the accounts. And, and we, don't, we, we do the leadership bit off the side of our desk. You know, we just, just do it at the margins. And actually, we interfere with our people who are doing, who should be doing the doing, um, because we're still doing the doing. And so, and, and so one of the, one of the key things that we teach people is, you know, your first responsibility as a leader is to create bandwidth. Because in order to lead, you need to be strategic. And you cannot be strategic if you don't have the bandwidth to see what's going on around you. And therefore, your first priority is to create some bandwidth in order to be able to lead. And that, that is revelatory for, for many, many people, because most organizations keep people tremendously busy, uh, you know, and, and busyness is very often uh, a form of status. So, you know, if you ask someone in an organization how they are, the answer usually is busy because busy means important and important means status. So, so, you know, we, so this, you've got this, this really vicious circle. And, and, I've got, and the other bit is that, you know, the, you, you'll never run out of things to do in a big organization. People will always pour extra work onto you. Um, so you've got to you've got to develop the skill of prioritization. You've got to develop the skill of saying no. You've got to develop the skill of delegation in order to create the bandwidth to be to have any kind of strategy to enable yourself to lead. And and teaching people those that that simple fact and the skills to make it happen is you know, is the first big sort of door opening revelation. Um, and it, I, you know, it's, it's, it's tremendously rewarding. That's why we do it, of course. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And you're absolutely right. It's exactly the same for surgery as it is for, you know, many other things. I think, um, you, you know, you, you were spot on when you commented on, um, you know, we're promoting people because of their abilities, not because of their leadership ability. And I think it is it is completely a separate skill that needs to be taught, needs to be nurtured, needs to be grown um, through either internal coaching or looking at outside sort of leadership, teaching and training and, and, and so forth. And I think it's, it's, it's a massive deficit actually in, in organizations of all sizes. Um, and, and it just, it reminded me actually, cause I was asked a very interesting question quite recently, which I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on, which is 
if you have someone who they may have the characteristics of being an authentic leader or someone who is a uh, you know you know has has good leadership traits and has done well previously but you put them into a situation where they are looking after a team who they are giving the space to innovate to and they're giving the freedom and the safety to do that but the team still isn't getting results what would you do then in a scenario like that do you think as a as a leader do you think that is a problem with the leader do you think it's a problem with the people do you think it's a problem of of that whole unit well so i think the the default position it's a bit like you know that really annoying um truth uh, which is there's no such thing as a bad student, only bad teachers. Um, you know, so so uh, as a as a leader, your job is to enable everyone to be the very best version of themselves as much of the time as possible. Uh, and so, if you're you know you're you're setting the um, you're you're agreeing what you're objectives are you're you know you're collectively you're defining what you're supposed to be doing you're collectively defining whose role who's taking which role within that what ne- what needs to be done and who's doing which bits you're doing all of that you're you're making everyone feel really good about themselves and really empowering people you're agreeing lines of accountability you know you if you're putting all of those basics in place and and you're still not delivering as you say um, then there are you, you've got to you've got to look at uh, you've got to look both at the external dynamics around the team. So are there are there factors around the team that are preventing the team from performing? You know, are they are they coming under pressure from somewhere else? Are they are they not getting resources that they need from somewhere else? Are they are they being blocked in some way? You know, all of those kind of because of course that can happen too. Um, are there cultural issues in the organization that are that are inhibiting you know all of that and then you've got to look at the internal factors you know are there are there individuals in the team that are are distracting damaging you know that happens too uh and and you know you may well want to you may well need to deploy some coaching uh of your team members to to change behaviors change the way people are responding to things and so on. You may have to take action outside the team collectively. You know, how do we, how do we resist this pressure from this part of the organization or how do we get the support we need from that part of the organization in order to be effective? Um, And if there are, if there are individuals, you know, you, you, you see that we, we are sometimes we work with, with teams that are in real trouble. You know they've they are re- failing quite badly. They've got huge internal tensions going on, and and usually you find that there is a a single relationship within that team that is causing that it, that, that, that everything stems from, and and you, you so you have to heal that relationship. I mean, maybe there's some parallel in medicine here. You know, if there's something in the body that is causing a trauma, you know, can you can you heal that? And it, and and if you can't heal it, can you cut it out? 
so yeah, I mean, if there are if there are individuals, if there are in, individuals in a team who are um, who are, are, are really causing the trauma and are and it, and it's not possible, and you can't. I mean, I um, I would always say, you know, you've got really got to look very carefully at the system because. It, and this happens mostly. What happens in organisations is that you replace the part. You know, you okay, you know, yeah, that we're failing, and it's your fault. So you go, and and everything's going to be okay. And of course, it, that only works if that individual was the problem. Uh, if the problem, nearly always, the problem is systemic. So you you've got to look at the system first. But but there are definitely occasions where it is the individual, and and then you need to do take action on that individual. Um, but you know, start with the base, on the premise that, that that it's systemic, not individual. Uh, work on the system first. No, really, really great answer, and it, very similar to sort of how how I um, you know thought to approach that as well. I think it's it's always really tricky and always very kind of specific with with different examples. But um, I th- I think looking at and and I think it probably you know I, where I would like to get with things like leadership is if there was, you know, basically a way to actually objectively sort of quantify people's leadership abilities in, in certain different circumstances and areas um, as, a, you know, almost as, as a way to sort of promote on, on those, um, uh, you know, kind of metrics rather than, as you say, on, on abilities outside, because then you're able to kind of segment someone who is a fantastic leader from people who are just very, very good at their jobs. And I think that will often get people into the correct positions in a slightly more clear way as well. Yeah. So we have a leadership 360, um, which uh, evaluates people based on their habits, not their abilities. So what they actually do rather than what they are capable of. And, um, and that, that gives you a, that scores people across a range of areas. It does exactly that. And, and, you know, really good leaders score very, very highly and uh, more, you know, other leaders, you can, you can pinpoint the, the habits that they need to uh, cultivate in order to, to be the best leader that they can be, because it is all about habits. Leadership is about habits. And just as we sort of start to wrap things up, I mean, that was that was um, going to be my sort of final question for you, which is, you know, for anybody listening who is, uh, you know, perhaps a leader or, or, you know, wants to improve their leadership ability, what are some of those habits and, and things that, you know, people should really sort of start focusing on working on improving at the moment, do you think? Well, sorry, sorry to be pedantic, but <laughs> but, but first of all, the, the whole idea of a leader is complicated uh, because, um, I, I, I mean, one of the things that we uh, we believe in our society is that that to become a leader, one needs to be appointed. Uh, whereas, actually, it's much easier, much better to talk about leadership as a skill, a leader as a person. And the point and the difference there is that leadership is a is there's a couple of things. So, leadership is a skill that you deploy. Uh, in the moment when it's relevant, rather than uh, rather than a permanent state, uh, leadership is not hierarchical. So you can lead from anywhere in an organisation, um, and 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 leadership is a choice. So so the first habit to cultivate is choosing to lead in the moment when it's relevant. 
you know, when you are the person, you know, when, when leadership is required and you are the person to do that leading, then, then make the choice to lead. You know, very often you, you see the situation where no one steps up and leads uh, and everyone's sort of looking at everyone else. And you, and you, you know, how many meetings have you been in where the conversation is completely circular? You just keep going around in circles because no one's prepared to intervene. So, so that, you know, that, that first, the first thing is to choose to lead. Uh, the second thing is, the second habit is, uh, is the habit of creating bandwidth. If you're, you know, if you're constantly busy, you will never have enough perspective to make that choice to lead in the moment when you need to. Um, the third thing to cultivate is the, the habit of, you know, you know that, that feeling of vulnerability, you know that emotion, you know what vulnerability feels like. What's the, what's the natural reaction when you feel vulnerable? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I remember in surgery, what, what, one, one really good example of this actually is, um, you know, if something goes wrong during a surgical operation, you immediately want to kind of recoil and, you, you know, you pull your instruments out of the field of view. And, you know, some of the best advice I got actually was when you have almost like a, you know, a, a, a reflex action like that, you need to actually take a mental step back as well and think, what do I need to do in this situation? And, and as you say, going back to your previous point, you need to give yourself the time to then think. But, but you also need to lean into the vulnerability. So, so you, 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 might, you, you might well want to step back and think, but you don't want to step back completely. So you know, we, we, did some, um, we did some brilliant um, simulation work using actors and you would see how people were triggered in meetings by bad behavior from a, a leader in, in, our, in this case, in the simulation, an actor. And, and most people are triggered to passivity. You know, they, they'll, they'll step back. They'll, they'll go into avoidance mode. And, and you know, leadership requires us to lean into that vulnerability, not, not, to, um, not to sort of get out of the way. Um, so that's, I mean, I, I would say those, those three habits uh, are, are, you know, crucial first steps. Make that choice to lead, uh, create the bandwidth for yourself to be strategic and, and cultivate the habit of leaning into vulnerability rather than stepping back from it. No, fan fantastic advice. And, um, you know, as we sort of start to wrap this up, um, I, I uh, always love getting people's opinions on how they've been inspired in their own journeys, uh, I mean, particularly leadership journeys. Um, and I'd be really interested to know who has sort of been an inspirational figure or human performance hero in, in, in your life to this day, Neil. So um, <laughs> my <laughs> the, 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 there are a lot of answers to this question. Um, when I... Um, my, my first books were about uh, authentic businesses and authentic leadership. And I, I did actually something very similar to this, which was I interviewed people who I thought were authentic leaders. One of the interesting things about authentic leaders is because they don't pursue status, we often don't hear about them. Uh, so they often, go, they often go under the radar. Um, one, of the, one of the people I interviewed was um, Tim Mead, 
who at the time, I, I don't know whether he still is, but he, at the time he was chief executive of Yo Valley, um, the dairy company. And, you know, a fantastic, authentic leader. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't show up in the FT or The Economist or any of these things, but, he, but a great, authentic leader. Uh, and, and there were quite a number of those. Um, Juliet Davenport, who was chief executive of, of Good Energy, uh, was another one. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they exhibit all of these characteristics and, and humility. Uh, they don't. They don't have this big ego. They're not chasing status. They're very willing to empower others. So, they, so you know, in some senses, it's difficult to identify famous examples of authentic leadership. There are some. I mean, uh, I, I think Tim Cook is a good example. Tim Cook at Apple, um, Gandhi uh, as another example. Some some other behavioral traits that weren't so attractive, but, but generally a, a very authentic leader. Um, uh, Nelson Mandela. So there, there, there are, you know, well-known famous examples, uh, but, but most authentic leadership is actually, is actually quite below the radar. It's quite, it, it, it doesn't, they don't seek fame. They don't seek status. Uh, they just get on with the, get on with doing amazing stuff. Um, there in in sports and uh, other areas you can see it. Um, yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say I, th- I think that's just such a fantastic example. Just um, you know, highlighting that that the best leaders are very humble and and often don't get uh, you, you know mentioned in in things like this. Like when when we ask for sort of you know well known examples of inspirational figures. Um, and I think you know that's a really really good. An appropriate way to to end this sort of podcast on on leadership. Um, you know, Neil, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking with you. I feel like we could probably speak for the, the entire remainder of the day, uh, probably more days about you know this very subject. Um, but but you know, if, if people do want to go to find out a little bit more about you or get hold of your books or find out more about your company, where can they go? So uh, the company is Holos uh, and HolosChange.com is uh, is the web address. Uh, we have a, a fantastically inspiring confer- conference each year called Holocon, uh, which is for leadership professionals, people who want to learn and understand about leadership. Um, so that's a, a great place to start. Um, there's a, uh, my business partner and I wrote a book called Stealing from the Future and How You Can Stop It, which is all about this area of authentic leadership versus hostile leadership and, and how you how you inculcate a culture of authentic leadership in organizations in order to create sustained success. Um, so those are, those are some good, good routes forward. Um, and, you know, love to hear from people uh, uh, and love to help people uh, with, with generating cultures of sustained success. Our vision as an organization is, is universal authentic leadership. Uh, we believe that if all leadership in the world is authentic leadership, the world will be a better place. Uh, and, and actually that leadership is the only superpower that can save the planet. Uh, so we, there is an urgent need to upgrade leadership in all our institutions. Uh, and and we're, that is the mission that we're on um, to, to create that, uh, that kind of leadership. That can lead to sustained success for individuals, for organizations, and for us as a society as a whole. 
Well, I think, you know, what a, what a powerful message to, to end on. And I think uh, there's such a big skills gap there for leadership training period um, across all organizations. And you even mentioned schools earlier on as well. I think it's, uh, you know, a really strong call to action for anyone listening um, to, to optimize their own leadership and that of their organization. Uh, Neil, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Alex. Great fun. Thank you.